Welcome to the finale of the Purple Rock Survivor podcast for this season. We are talking worlds apart. We've just completed the finale, and it was perhaps the most shocking conclusion you could have ever hoped to see. Am I right, Andy? Can you believe it? One guy won all those challenges in a row. He won three in the night. Who could have predicted such a thing? If only there were podcasters that had been telling you this for at least a month now. That's right. You ignore the fact that we basically picked the wrong person to go home almost every week. We nailed this one, which I think proves, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we are great at figuring out obvious things. We can read the massively sized writing on the wall. Yeah, and I think what's nice for you, the listener, is we don't play coy about it. (laughs) I think everybody knew this, but everybody's like, oh, I gotta pretend. Like, what are they, watching pro wrestling and trying to keep kayfabe? Like, it was obvious what was happening, and, you know. Gordon Holmes, the uh, well-known survivor, blogger, interviewer, all those things, tweeted something last night during the episode, like, well... I'm rooting for Mike in second chances, and or I know who I'm rooting for in second chances. Right after Mike was on screen, and I'm like, "Are you talking about Joe?" Because it clearly can't be Mike. Yeah, no. I would love to be on here patting my back about having nailed this, but it's a struggle to think of the something that's been this obvious. I mean, maybe maybe it's not that far back. Maybe Tyson was this obvious, but at least with Tyson. There were people in that final episode, it's like, that's a person who could win. You're like, yeah. they're not gonna, but, like, Sierra could win, Tina could win. I think the closest would be Kara Moen. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> once, once Andrea went home, it's like, okay, well, it's Cochran, and anything else we're talking about is a waste of intellectual effort. And it was the same thing here, because not only was Mike dominant in the edit throughout the entire time, nobody else was made to look even a little good. Right, same with Karamoan. It's like, Dawn was clearly a good player, but just based on the edit, it was very clear who they were telling you was going to win. Yeah, so, yay, Mike. But, I mean, honestly, legitimately, yay, Mike. I, I think there's been, for some people, a bit of a muted thing, and part of that is because it was just so obvious. And who wants to cheer for the inevitable? You and I do because we are fans of overdog basketball teams for the most part. Uh, not right now, but in general. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we're okay with that. But no, like really, I'm, I think Mike is a very good winner. Let's assess Mike's win because I think it's a little bit hard to, you know, place historically. I don't really like trying to rank winners just because I feel like somehow, if this is possible, it's actually more subjective than ranking seasons just because you don't know what was happening behind the scenes, you get the narrative arc that they laid out for you, and then you're just sort of speculating, and it's too convoluted. Oh, yeah, and again, this is probably also the same, the true of seasons, but you apply your own you know, standards of what a good win or not. So I'm not necessarily like, where does he rank amongst the winners? Uh, it's more like, how do we judge this? How do we judge what he did? Because on the one hand, Winning five of six when you basically have to win every week, that's pretty impressive. That's a thing that we've been basically saying for a long time now. just doesn't happen anymore. And it happened. What? Are you suggesting that a claim that we made was refuted in some way? (laughs) I can't believe it. Uh, And uh, unlike some people, I enjoy when the show will prove us wrong from time to time. But on the other hand, it's like... How good is he if he needed to win five of six? 
But then if on the third hand, because I'm a mutant. Um, Clearly. That's been true of a lot of people. There's been a lot of good players that at a certain point, their strength becomes a weakness and they need to win out. And none of them do it. He did. Yeah. You know, people were like, oh, he he just won immunity challenges. Well, yeah, but that's exactly what he had to do. He didn't really have other options. I mean, he can try to make deals, and he did make deals with Carolyn and Sierra and say, you know, I, I got this. This will be our alliance. But it's total paper alliance because as soon as anything goes wrong and Mike loses immunity, they're like, I know what I agreed to, but you need to get gone. So, I mean, what else do you expect him to do if he's going to try to win Survivor? He has to win those immunities. And he did. Yeah, and also, like, we haven't wanted to do a lot of this this season, and I think it, we've been justified. But I will give a little bit of credit to these losers he's been competing with. They were right. You know, like, lesser players than them would have been like, you know what, yeah, let's team up with Mike, or I like Mike better, or I'm, I'm angry at this person I was aligned to. As much flaws as these people had, and they had a lot, they knew that it's like, doesn't matter. Mike has to go. Yeah, to their credit, I mean, even for some of them being the goats that they were, they realized, like, no, 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 not going to the end with Captain America here. Yeah, and you could say, like, well, duh, but there's been plenty of seasons where there's been plenty of duh, right? I don't know how you fault or praise Mike, because it's like, well, a better player would have had the bonds and, you know, they, they wouldn't have been a target. But then as soon as you get that better player in other seasons, whether it be, you know, Tyson, Blood versus Water... Ross and Rob, Redemption Island. They're, everybody's just like, oh, I played with a bunch of idiots and never voted them out. Right. These people were idiots, but they weren't that kind of idiot, right? They, <laughs> they knew that I don't care what happens. Mike goes as soon as we can get him gone. And sure, they built themselves little hate narratives and stuff, like he's such a bad guy. That's just the sort of thing you need to do to keep your eyes on the prize. And I think even if he did a great job, even if he had never had his massive error that we can get to, or we can get to right now. His biggest mistake was the auction thing. Yep, agreed. I, th- I think that makes it, like, one day harder for him. Like, it, I th- it was going to happen. At a certain point, the, all the people there were going to look around and say, we got to get Mike gone. The only yeah. difference, I think, was either, for one, he had to start warning just a little bit earlier, and he did, so bravo. Um, and two, they were just a little more hostile about it. You know, the other way would have been like when they voted out Joe. Ah, Joe's a great guy. Joe. You know, like, so right. I don't know how much on balance it really changed things. And in fact, you could argue, and I think Jeff did a bit in the reunion, he had the clarity of it. You know, he never had to pretend anything but I have to win. Right. Like you said, there was at that time, it was Mike, Shireen, and Jen were the clear targets. So you can debate when Mike would have been the one going home, but it's likely just about then. If it wasn't then, it was probably the next episode. Yeah, like they were talking about it. That wasn't invented. I think, you know, the the, the scene showing Mike listening in, that might have been an invention. But Mike, prior to auction, was talking to his people that these people were after him. That chronology has never been disputed in the show. Rodney was talking about going after him right then, which... To Rodney's credit, he should have been. Now, Tyler, uh, to his discredit, was like, no, 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 pause. But at a certain point, he was always going to have to win out. It just turned out that he had to start a little bit earlier. He did, though, have one signature move, and that would be his idle play fake out when he suggested that he was going to play it for Shireen just to see where the votes would go. And 
it worked. It still somehow didn't convince Dan back to his side because Dan would continue believing that he wasn't at the bottom of that alliance. But good move. The right move. Yeah, I think like within that period where he had to win out, I think he did a lot of he did the things you would need to do to try and get cracks to form and all that. It just wasn't going to happen. And there you could blame the auction that maybe the bad feelings ensured that, for instance, a player like Dan was never going to flip. Because I don't know if you've heard of this, but Dan was actually very concerned about playing the hero. So uh, What? Doesn't sound like the Dan I know. If Mike hadn't had that great deep betrayal that led to Dan getting the advantage anyway, he wouldn't have lost Dan. I think we also have some evidence to suggest that having Dan on your side isn't really a plus or a minus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how much I would change for him. But yeah, like that was a great move to show Dan. I mean, he brought Caroline over. He warned her. Yeah, I'm not going to give him too much credit about for her playing her idol. But even after that, even after everybody's like attacking her for not telling them about the idol, she's still going to be like, okay, but it's still us four. So it's kind of like... Could he have taken the target off of his back ever? I No, I don't think so. I think it's obvious. Yeah, because the tallest blade of grass is always going to be the first one cut by the lawnmower. Exactly. Oh, uh, Actually, a discussion that I wanted to get in on this, what, you know, the physical stuff, because, you know, we've said that immunity runs like this are next to impossible. I think we've downgraded physicality almost too much. I know we like to say often, and when I say we, I mean literally you and I, mm-hmm. that immunity challenges, maybe they don't matter. Yeah. The only two-time winner has never won one. But I think this this win by Mike might restore the balance a bit and show that they do matter, or they can matter. Well, our claim wasn't that they don't matter. It was that mm-hmm. one challenge matters, and that is the final immunity challenge. Other than that you can get by without being good in immunity challenges. And in general, the argument is more about being someone who's in good physical shape doesn't necessarily make you an immunity threat just because of the nature of the challenges that that they generally have. Mm-hmm. Well, I also say the argument is being good at challenges might not necessarily mean anything to a jury. You know, and people are like, oh, they didn't deserve the win. How would that person ever get any, you know, they never did anything in challenges. It's like, yeah, the jury doesn't care. They don't care. But where being good in challenges really helps is if you need them to move on. And, you know, Mike's an extreme case. You know, he needed five out of six and an immunity idol. But there's been plenty of other winners who needed to win two, who needed to win three. And that's where the physical element, I th- think, helps in Survivor. If Boston Rob doesn't win those two, I don't think they bring him to the end. If Tyson doesn't, everybody says they wouldn't have brought it in. JT's another one where they were talking about it. So that's where it helps. And where you look at players like Rob Cesarino and uh, Sari, they couldn't get themselves there. So I think within the four pillars of uh, what you need to be a successful Survivor player, I think physical is still important, but it still might be the least important. One other advantage, though, to being physical is uh, the less often you go to Tribal Council at the beginning, the less often you get voted out. This is true. True Dork Times, I think, did a statistical analysis on this. And it's basically that if you are in the majority at the merge, 70-ish percent of the time, the winner comes from that group. Yeah, and just look at this season. Joe might not have had to win 10 in a row if he had numbers coming in. Yep. Mike's team did. So, you know, that's where it comes in. And I think that's why people that might be just kind of more inclined to discredit Mike's win a bit, because, like, oh, all he did is win challenges. It's like, well, yeah, if you can do that, 
That might be the surefire way of succeeding. It's just the freaking hardest way to do it. Yeah. But just to clarify, if Ozzy did this, he's still a douchebag and he sucks. It's true, and he was so close to doing it, I too. Know. <laughs> so I'd say, uh, yeah, let's put the, the right pillar is that, yeah, physical is important. It's just not as important. And if you're really good in other areas, maybe it's not important at all. Whereas social, I don't think that's true ever, or almost ever. I guess Fabio did win this game. <laughs> And the last is strategic. Maybe strategic is the one that people overvalue way too much. I would say luck is the most undervalued. Yes, that is true. <laughs> luck is easily the most undervalued. And uh, actually, to bring that back to Mike, what would you say was his luckiest moment? Um. Well, how about the uh, fact that the challenges seemed very suited to his physical abilities? Yes, until the end, they didn't tack on a, lo a lot of incongruent puzzles like they have in other seasons. Uh, I'd say here's the luck, and it's lucky for Mike, and it's lucky for us. The night Jen played her idol, they targeted Kelly instead of Mike. Right. They probably should have tack uh, uh, targeted Mike. Uh, I think, you know, Kelly, we made the argument, and they did on the show, that you know she was possibly the hub of all that alliance. Clearly, that was not true. <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> So that, and I, there's also the possibility that they were just pissed at Kelly because she had been in a bit of an alliance with them for two weeks, or not two weeks, but two episodes. Yeah, six days in island time. Yeah. So that could have been it. And it, like, if that doesn't happen, if Kelly just plays it up a little bit better that she's still with them, they all vote Mike and Mike's gone and this season was god awful. One thing though that we've heard from exit interviews is that Mike actually did work with those other people that he was voted out, at least formed relationships. He formed relationships with Haley and Joe and stuff. So maybe that isn't complete luck. Maybe they decided, you know, we don't like Kelly because what she did with him, and Mike is at least kind of talking to us, so maybe he's something somebody we could work with down the road. And let's not close that door. So I'm not sure, and that'd be an interesting thing to ask him sometime when he you know, has slept and <laughs> isn't drunk, like all his exit <laughs> interviews today. It's just like, why didn't they target you? Maybe someday we'll get that chance. Yeah, uh, let's give Mike his credit. And also, be happy. He's a fun guy. He is. I like Mike. I've said since the beginning. He just, he yeah. seems likable, charming in some way. Now, one thing I don't feel like he really did well, but it's kind of, this is where the subjectivity really gets into play, because it's really hard to tell, was that Final Tribal. What did you think of Final Tribal? You know what I noticed right away? No opening statements. Yeah, and clearly they happened. Uh, Probst has actually said on his EW, they happened. Uh, he just They usually suck, and I'm sure they did. Yeah. Uh, and what Probst has said is, like, people just end up repeating their uh, opening statement in their answers to questions anyway. Their so. talking points. Yeah, and it's true. I, I've always felt like that's one of the lost opportunities for a lot of players. Uh, it could be that they recognize that people don't really want to hear too much. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that was weird. And what I did feel like is I never really felt like any of them presented a case for themselves. I, I think it was fairly choppy editing, so I have a feeling mm -hmm. there was a lot that was left on the cutting room floor. It was very rushed. I think they probably realized that they had devoted a lot of episode time to Mike winning challenges, which is the narrative they were building for the season anyway. So it was kind of like, oh, we got to squeeze in this tribal council thing really quickly. And it just cut down those questions to nearly nothing. I, I mean, Joe didn't technically ask a question. I'm sure he 
did ask it. It just didn't make air. Mm-hmm. Jen didn't ask a question. Yeah, there's a couple people that went up and rambled and or stumped for Mike, and it wasn't very compelling. Yeah, I thought it was awful pretty much all the way around, and the big one was editing. So it's like, I don't even know how to judge any of their performance, you know? In some ways, it felt like uh, the Final Tribal gave Will the best edit. Not that he had the best performance, but they, like, let people talk to him for some reason, you know? Uh, as though he mattered. But yeah, it's just like, it didn't seem like anybody was asking questions. Nobody really made a case for themselves. Like, the longest answer Mike got to get is when he talked about how he might suck. And I think a big part of it, and I forgot to put this in our breakdown, but it was that fire-making challenge. That probably ate up the time. Yeah. You know, we were talking about Mike's gameplay. I think that was a good one. That was a good strategic decision, because it buys Carolyn's vote if she ends up losing, and... I, I think it helped him. It didn't matter who he ended up going against anyway. Well, the, my first thought was like, maybe he did this to entertain that jury, and they like him for it. But because uh, you know, they were all like, "Oh, this is going to be great," and then they realized that, "Oh, we're going to spend an hour watching people try to start a fire." Yeah, uh, we got so but, close to matches. By the way, I kept calling out for two. Let's go to matches. Let's go to matches. <laughs> and yeah, you know, Probst has said, "Who knows if this is true?" It's like we were minutes away of going to matches. But I think the other thing that worked out is. They looked horrible in front of that jury. You know, even if you're not the person that's inclined to be like, oh, I'm voting for the person with the best survival skills, as most people aren't, their lasting impression of one of the two people is like an hour of wasting their time being sucky at something. And that's not not only that, but an hour of having to sit there and watch them being sucky at something. Yeah, like if you went into that, like cheering, yeah, Rodney, you're going to win this, or oh, Carolyn, you got a shot. After a while, I was like, God, can they both just go so I can go? Yes. Yeah, uh, my buzz is wearing off because I've been drunk the whole time at Ponderosa. I believe there might have been someone that looked a little drunk on the episode. (laughs) At least at the final tribal. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. That was, I think it was a good move by Mike, and some people are worried that, oh, we should have just voted on Carolyn. Uh, yeah, I think Final Tribal tells us, why are we worried about that, people? <laughs> right. And I do agree with you, though, that I don't think really any of them gave a stellar performance. Mike did one thing really well. Tell me. Apologizing to Dan was like stroking John Robert's ego. It was like the perfect thing to say to get one more vote. <laughs> okay, yeah. And that's actually what I was going to lead into, is the only two really interesting parts were Dan and Shireen. Dan, because he gave us exactly what you expect out of Dan, which is the over-the-top acting and contrived performance that we've come to know and love. And then, of course, Shireen's speech, which somehow said that we should let it be as it is in nature with a monkey maybe eating a stingray that ate a fish. Not really sure how that analogy worked like it did with Sue Hawks, though. Yeah, I mean, I haven't studied the diets of howler monkeys, but I, I kind of feel like they're not fishermen. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not an anthropologist, uh, which is good because anthropologists don't study animals. Oops. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that, that, that might have been a bit of a muddled metaphor, or at least in the sense of her trying to connect it to the past. This might be a pointless question, but uh, how did you feel about Shireen's uh, final speech there i mean it was entertaining which what else can you ask from a jury member but again it it, there wasn't much drama to it just because the way the season was edited it never felt like 
any of their votes were necessarily up in the air. I knew that Mike had to at least get a majority. Uh, and I felt like it was going to be much larger than that. I figured he would maybe lose one vote. I felt that until right before. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, because part of it is we never calculated Rodney not being there. So then I was like, wait, Rodney's on the jury. He's not voting for Mike because Rodney was obviously butthurt about it. Because Rodney is Rodney. Yeah, and look, maybe Rodney votes for him if he has, like, you know, three days to recover, but, like, one day? Nah, he's just, like... So, yeah, as soon as Rodney went out and all that, I'm like, wait a second. Oh, no, Will's getting a vote. (laughs) And you know what's funnier is that I think... I assumed Dan was going to give his vote to Carolyn. And then, I think I tweeted it, too. Then a few minutes later, I realized, oh, wait, Carolyn's a woman. Dan's not going to do it. Well, then that's the thing. When we're like, Dan will never vote for Mike, it's because we thought he'd be voting for Rodney. So then I was worried for a second that Will was getting two votes. (laughs) Uh, uh, But getting back to Shireen, I think... In some ways, the show's edit didn't do her any favors in the final tribal because she was there forever. And I think they all get more time, but it's chopped down. And they gave us the whole Shireen thing. And it's like, if it's just, you know, her re, you know, reasserting her story, claiming a bit of that, like, that was a good part. Or if, yeah, her howler monkey, all that, that was a fun part. But all of it's kind of like, you know what? This moment really isn't about you. <laughs> Does anybody have a freaking question for these people? Yeah, and that's what I was saying is that none of them, or at least if they did have questions, we didn't see it because it didn't matter. So it was just a, a dud of a final tribal. Yeah, I mean, this one was particularly bad. I do feel like some of this is part and parcel of what's been going on a lot lately in the jury because most people already know how they're voting. So they're all like, I'm going to steal it. It's like, come on, form it in the phrase of a question at least. Do your monologuing and then ask something. I still want to hear these people speak even if you already know who you're going to vote for. Yeah, it's kind of an open secret. I mean, I people who are new to the show might not realize this, but while the jury is hanging out at Ponderosa, they do tend to talk about where the votes are going to go. So it's it's usually pretty obvious to them before they even go into the final tribal who the votes are going towards. So there's not a lot of mystery. I agree. And yeah, note to future uh, juror members who none of them are listening because they're in a hotel right now. Please just ask a question. I don't care if you know how you're voting. For the television viewer, I want to hear the people speak one more time because maybe then we could say, oh, Mike gave a great jury performance. Or maybe we could say, hey, wasn't that funny when Will couldn't do anything? Because that's what we've been saying all season. Right. But yeah, last night just felt like there was kind of like, can we just vote, please? Um, So there was a tie for second place. And one of them was the other person that everybody thinks was so great this season. What was, what's the final assessment of Carol? Well, Let's not get hasty and say a lot of people think she was so great. Um, she did play a fairly good game. She deserved to get second place. I'm just a little surprised she didn't get at least one more vote to actually claim sole possession of second place. And really that vote should have come from Tyler, who she made the exact right move to get rid of. And then he ends up acting all hurt and, you know, you were disloyal and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it, because she needed to be. It was the right move to do that. And I don't, I wouldn't have apologized to him. I'd have been like, yeah, I took you out because that was the right thing to do. Otherwise, you probably would have beaten me. Like, why not just say that to him? Uh, cause she wanted his vote. Uh, same reason why Mike apologized to Dan. Here's my take on Carolyn. Uh, and some of this is reacting to the reaction where everybody was worried that, you know, why didn't Mike vote her out at final five? Why, oh, he should have just voted her out and kept Rodney. Maybe she wasn't that good. 
you know, maybe, you know, for the longest time, everybody's been trying to assign the strategist, the game player status to her, to Tyler, because, you know, Mike doesn't fit their mold. But if nobody was afraid of her at Final Five and they were afraid of Sierra, that might say something. If she couldn't beat Will in a vote, maybe that says something. Maybe her fatal flaws were apparent to everybody out there. And you know what else I wonder? This being the season that they addressed the uh, sexism in the reunion, maybe Mike sort of had his uh, finger on the pulse and was like, oh yeah, there's a lot of uh, misogynists here who probably wouldn't throw a vote her way. Yeah, in the way that Rodney might have been a threat, you know? So he has, you know, the four votes locked up. Uh, it doesn't matter between Carolyn and Rod- uh, or Rodney. But, you know, there's Dan there. There's Tyler there. Like, are they going to admit that Carolyn's better than them? And if Carolyn was really good at this, maybe she could have swayed the people that were pretending that they were able to be swayed during that final tribal council. But I feel like the read that we've gotten through most of the season... Maybe it was accurate. Maybe she's a bit of a cold fish with people. <laughs> and that's a problem. You know? So it's like, and that, this is kind of ties into what I was saying a bit earlier. Maybe we overrate strategy. Because I don't know if strategically there's anything I really judge Carolyn for. And in fact, maybe we can give her a bit of credit. But socially, I just don't feel like she was that strong. She was probably very standoffish with people who were not on her side. She did backstabbed a few people that are on there. She had an alliance with Shireen. She had an alliance with Jen and Haley. I mean, obviously it was one of the convenience offer the swap, but I don't feel like she, after that, like was still friends with them. Yeah. And I, I would still call her the second best player, at least in the context of who made it deep enough into the game to actually be considered a player. I don't. Okay. I don't think she was the second best player. And uh, and I probably did heading into last night. I, you know, thought she had to be final, you know, the fifth person if it wasn't Mike, and it wasn't going to be Mike because Mike had already won the season. But the fact that she wasn't, the fact that like basically at once she survived that one vote with her idol, nobody cared to vote her out. Like her name didn't even come up. Some people are giving her credit for that. It's like, oh, see what a great strategist. What a way to wake. You know, she worked her way out of it. It sounds like she didn't do squat. They just didn't care to vote her out because she didn't matter. Well, Rodney and Will you know? tried to vote her out. Oh, right. Because it wasn't them. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> she was a great threat of not being them. Uh, so it's like, if she wasn't a threat at final five, what does that say about her? Nobody seemed to be that afraid to go up against Carolyn at a final jury. This is true, but again, consider the people who were making that decision. One of them was Mike. Well, one of them was Mike, but two of them were Rodney and Will. And that brings me to the second best player this season. I kind of think it was Rodney, and I'm not com- I'm not convinced that he wouldn't have beaten her. Well, I'm not saying he would have. I'm just saying that there's a chance. He gets I would say Tyler and Dan's vote. Uh, beyond that... Hey, if you believe Jen at the reunion, and I don't, uh, <laughs> he could have he gotten her vote against Mike. Again, I don't believe that for a second, but I'm not necessarily swearing off that he couldn't have gotten it against Carolyn. It's possible. It at least would have been close. But let, let's not talk about the darkest timeline much longer than we have to. But my, I guess my point is, I actually think Rodney was the second best player this season. I'm not just saying that to be contrarian. The whole time, we never wanted to give him credit for being the fulcrum of this alliance. He was. 
It clearly wasn't Tyler. They got rid of him the second they could. It wasn't her. They got. They tried to get rid of her the second time they could. He's the one that held Will, Sierra, Dan together. He's the one that brought in Tyler and Carolyn. It was his alliance. It was his moves. Mike could not crack Rodney's alliance. How impossible to believe is that? But it's true. Yeah, at the end of the day, though, he's still Rodney. Yes. And that was the fatal flaw of almost all those people. At the end of the day, they were still themselves. Right. All right. So regardless, you mentioned the reunion where Jen claims that she would have voted for Rodney. Let's talk about the reunion because there was some other stuff that went down there that's worth discussing. Yeah, Obviously, the, you know, they had trouble with time, as they always do. And that, the main reason for that is because they spent so much time destroying Dan. Ooh, and so much that's time. fantastic. That was probably, honestly, I say Rodney was the second best player in story. The second biggest story of this season, perhaps the first, is how much they hate Dan Foley and how much they could make him show suck. And they did it again! Well, it was funny because some people were like, oh, you know, Probst was, you know, a little overboard. He was almost too mean. Well, I think he was legitimately saying, and he said it at the reunion, like, okay, Dan tried to call us out and say we're doing stuff out of context and we're not editing him correctly and blah, blah, blah. Let's see if Dan's correct. And so he throws out actual boring raw footage and proves no, Dan, this story that you've been feeding everybody is incorrect. You are either totally forgetting or, much more implied, you are completely lying about all of this. Or, like, the third is that, that you just don't see the flaws of yourself. Oh, that Yeah, that okay, so that would be the option C, is that Dan is completely delusional and not the least bit self-aware. Yeah, and I'm taking C every time. And I've, I've been consistent on that the whole season. Uh, I And yes, I think there has been some, because obviously Probst has so, has so much more power, and that power imbalance does make people feel like, oh, maybe too far. But in some ways, that wasn't even about Dan. That was a shot across the bow to all survivors, past and present, that if you keep blaming the edit, I will end you. Yes, and that's... I think that was the most effective way to do it. And I think in general, they don't really care if you say like, ah, you know, some stuff was taken out of context. But yeah, I did do some of that stuff. Dan went to an extreme and said like, no, they blatantly changed the edit to make me look bad. They, you know, sculpted a narrative that didn't exist. What Survivor generally does is they... (laughs) They take their impression of you and they boil it down to as as small of a segment as possible because they have very short running times for their show. And I think the edit that they gave Dan was like, okay, this is the Dan we saw. Here's the doses that give you a glimpse into what we saw in Nicaragua. Yeah, and I think they move it around the margins, enhance and detract, depending on your success. Yes. But they don't invent things out of whole cloth. And to tie it back to an earlier part of the discussion... This is why Carolyn never felt like a real winner. She should have. If this show was better edited, and it would have been a more satisfying experience if we could have gone into last night with a shred of doubt. She finished second. She was there the whole way. Yep. But they never edited her to be a warm, generous person who felt like a winner because I don't think she was one, and they couldn't create it if they wanted to. And I think it's the same story with Dan. He was made to look extra worse because he's lost. But you did all the things, Dan. It was all there. And 
frankly, if you've heard anybody talk about Dan from this season, you know, it's usually in the laughed off jovial way that most people who have moved past the situation will do like, oh, that Dan. But never once did it feel like, oh, that Dan got a raw deal. Unless maybe you're talking to Will. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the only one that seemed to feel that Dan got a raw deal was Dan, which should tell you something. Yeah, and more. It's like, I mean, we saw it in the edit itself. They called BS on him losing his underwear. Because everything Dan does has a tinge of BS. So he gave them all the ammunition they needed, and they used it all. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and we've said a lot of times in the season. I think they probably went a little extra because he annoyed them too. Right, and this sort of ties into something. So his exit interview with Rob Sesternino, I almost don't want to encourage you to look for it, but Rob did post a transcript of it on his site. Uh, Rob has a website dot com. So if you really, really want to subject yourself to it, you can find it there. And in it, the highlight for me is. Something like if you read between the lines, it's very clear what Dan is saying. He says, you know, on day two, he spent the whole day crying because he missed his wife. And so he watched the first episode and he thought, why wouldn't they show that? And to me, and I'm assuming to production staff as well, that so clearly reeks of I'm trying to write my own narrative. I'm trying to look like a hero. I'm giving you material to paint me as a hero. Make me a hero. And I don't blame them because if someone was telling me how to tell my own, how to, how to write my own novel, I'd be like, F you. I'm the author here. Yeah. And also just bad timing, Dan. They're never going to show that in the first few days. Like exactly. a lot of shit to talk about in the first few days. Right. That doesn't, have, like if you won the season, they're not showing it then. Maybe they would have, you know, Franken clipped it for later. Cause actually there was a bonus scene this, ep- this season of, Dan crying in night vision about his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't link it, you know, link it as a bonus video you need to watch because why would you? Right. Uh, so it, it was out there. And I was like, oh, see, yeah, the one thing about Dan is you can say he loves his wife. I'm not sure how much that wins you over or anything, even if it's a love you only read about in stories. It's like, who doesn't love their loved one on Survivor? Everyone. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's the Dan fully experience. But I, I love that they just put him on blast like that. That's because own it. Don't just be like, oh, CBS done me wrong. Yeah. No, nobody's going to believe you. The one thing that I thought was ridiculous was Probst calling him out on his sh- T-shirt. Like, okay. Yeah, that was overboard. Yeah, we and got that, it. I think, is a, yeah, I, I think that's indicative of Probst being tired of the Dan Foley BS experience as well. Yeah. Um, so one thing they did at the reunion, we'll only touch on it a bit because they do it a lot. And it it's, it's never works. It didn't work with Don and Brenda. It's, it's not going to work here. Forcing apologies at a reunion is so futile. I really wish they wouldn't bother. And I think I even tweeted to Probst, like, just can we please skip it? It's so insincere. It's you're you're forcing a moment to happen. It's not it's it's not organic in any way. <laughs> it's it's apologize now. It's like when you you're you know disciplining your child. Like okay, you apologize to her now. Go. The person's saying it because you're Jeff Probst and you're telling them to, but it just lacks all sincerity. Yeah, and like I think organic is the right thing because there's a potential for organic apologies to happen at the reunion show. You just can't set them up. You know, if that person you're talking is like Jeff, can I have a minute? And then do it, man. 
it might feel a little bit better. There's still always the undercurrent of like, why didn't you apologize before now? Right. But you know, maybe it's like uh like Grant and Boston Rob at Redemption Island, like Grant just won't talk to that effing guy. So this is like literally your first opportunity, if that is even true. Right. Uh but clearly that's not what was happening last night. Right. Will knew that he's gonna get ass, he did that, so prepared his, you know, fun little non apology that's like this is why you should accept an apology. Uh what is it? With men this season and totally not knowing how to apologize, Oof. and this is this is the part where my wife is probably holding back a laugh. It's like, yeah, I wonder what it's like to be around a man who doesn't know how to apologize. <laughs> Luckily, my wife doesn't listen, so she won't be able to <laughs> like, nod along. It's like that's not how you do it, folks. You don't <laughs> you don't set the terms of your apology. You apologize and just accept whether that person says it or not that you are sorry and you are ready to deal with the consequences. That's how it works. But now, let's move on to the most exciting part of the reunion episode. Second chance announcements. Yeah. Do you feel like, uh, just finish uh, Worlds Apart, do you feel like they got hosed at the reunion by this whole second chance thing? Uh, Yes, and I don't care. Yeah. For me, I kind of don't, because I feel like they got basically amount, the same number of minutes that any recent cast has gotten. The difference is Survivor just cut out all the you know stuff in the audience. Yeah, the we BS get... segments of this time were just second chance announcement instead. Yeah, well, like good stuff, yeah. right? So, so oh no, uh, they didn't talk to Tyler Perry and Boston Rob and the little girl with rice. So yeah, second chances. Did, how how did you like how they handled that? What's funny is in theory, I mean, when we heard the whole announcement, I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing, and they're going to announce at the reunion, and it's going to be awesome. And then you're watching it happen, and. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't vote for most of the people that didn't make it. I think there was only two or three that I voted for that didn't make it. One we'll discuss, or two we'll discuss really soon. Um, but I did feel a little bit bad when they were like, yeah, so you're not going. Except for when it was Troy or Brad. I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Jim. Even Jim, I felt a little bad as man. It was like you could pause the moment where his heart, you know, broke. Yeah, yeah it was really awkward. But at the same time, I don't know if I can fault it. Because, for one, this is something that we've been excited about for weeks. Yep. The idea is like, oh, they should have done it another hour to give these people more time. Again, they would have just given, like, Cochran more time in the audience. Uh, and for two, three hours of one show a night is enough yes, for me, sex. exactly. And, and, yeah, do it live. Like, the whole fo- focus of this is that it was going to be on TV, and then these people were locked down. I think, like, yeah, it was the excitement of the vote, but it was so awkward. And I think it doesn't help that, like, the first person who got no was T-Bird. Oh. And it's just like, oh, no, this isn't fun anymore. She was so enthusiastic. And, like, her campaign, it was – I didn't think of her as, like, this really fondly remembered character from Africa. But when you watched her videos, she was just so gung-ho and she loved Survivor. And her interviews, she was so positive. And it's like – yeah, give T-Bird a shot. And then it's just the first heartbreak of the second chance announcement was, sorry, T-Bird. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to watch this anymore at the same time. Like, the alt- yeah, people are like, they should have just announced who's won and not who's that. It's like, is that really a better alternative? No, it's it like, doesn't matter. We don't even mention you on TV if you don't get on there. You, you're like the caramel people that didn't get to sit on the stage. It's like, I kind of just feel like this... This is what it was, and it is tough for the people that didn't get there. But yeah. well, let's talk about the uh, the triumphs of the second chance announcements, though. How about our triumph? Yes, because we yes. almost nailed it. Our endorsements, which uh, fairly closely mirrored my own predictions, we were seventeen out of twenty. 
Yeah, it's above average. I think that's really pretty good uh, when you consider that our endorsements didn't necessarily fully align to everybody else on the internet. Uh, we were able to pick out a few, like like Monica. That was kind of that was the left field one. I think we've we've proven that we are pretty good with predicting it around here, Andy. Hey, who said that Mike was winning? These guys. <laughs> So, yeah, Monica was actually one of the less exciting announcements, other than the fact that we nailed that one. We got PG back. Yes, I was... Uh, so, yeah, Probst did that. It's like, one of you? It's like, oh, no! Not PG. PG isn't going to make it. So then it was like, when it was T-Bird, it's like, oh, it's still PG. <laughs> it was yeah. so it was yeah. so conflicting. And then we got Savage back. That one, uh, again, was the other one. It's like, I don't think Savage is going to make it. I, the whole time, I felt... Because he does not have internet support. No. Although you should listen to the interview with, that we did with him if you haven't already, and plenty of people have. It's great. Uh, even though I'm not on it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, and then when they did the thing where Terry was like, oh no, not Savage. And then Savage! And then Savage makes it in, and I was I was bracing myself like, uh-oh, Probst is going to have to give him a hug and tell him I'm sorry, buddy. And then Savage makes it in. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, overall, yeah, this is great. I don't have any problems with who made it. Right. I have some preferences with who didn't, and we'll get into that. But there's nobody there. It's like, really? Come on, that? Well. Well, like, okay, so yeah, neither of us are pro-Keith or pro-Woo. Right. But those just felt like, yeah, those are probables, right? Like, those were the tacks. We knew some players like that were going to happen. Yeah, those are fine as fodder. I, I don't care. They're not offensive as fodder. Yeah. What we're getting at, it was, yeah, it wasn't Troy Zahn, it wasn't Brad Kupfer, right. it wasn't any of the meaningless mid twenty girls, um, and by mid twenty I mean seasons. Um, yeah, no, I think it was good, but man, I and everyone was not ready for Shane not making it. No, I really wasn't. I mean, what what killed it for me is that they set us up because we got. You know, all these early season players are going. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Varner, it's Kimmy, it's PG, Savage. Everybody but T-Bird, yeah. Yeah, everybody but T-Bird. And even Terry is like, okay, Terry. well, Terry's going, so obviously Shane's going to go too. And then, no. Yeah, and then when it was like him and Jeremy, he's like, oh, wow, Jeremy didn't make it. It's like, well, that's okay. I'm not, you know, a huge Jeremy fan. Kind of sucks that it's like almost all whites, but yeah, okay. And then, yeah, it was Shane. I'm like, What? Yeah. I was quickly doing the math, and I was like, oh my, yeah, it's Spencer and Joe, you know? Yeah. Now, here's what I'm, like, and I don't think I'm the only person who sleuthed this out. This is just the absolute wrong format for him. Uh, no villainous male got fan support, and that's not really that hard to figure out, right? Right. Other, some villainous females did, though. Yeah, but that field was so bad. That's like, true. I, I want to meet the people that could, ease, you know, in a majority cast ballots that doesn't include cast or something, right? It's like, oh, I really feel great. And you'd have to, what, then feel great about Stephanie Valencia? She's also a villain, right? And Nat- Natalie Tenerelli, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that one's a little, like, it's just like, well, you got to vote for somebody, and they're memorable. But amongst the guys, it's like, yeah, no Brad Culpepper, no Jim Rice, no... uh Troy Zan, no Shane. And even Max, who wasn't villainous, but was kind of edited to look like a, you know, a dunderhead. Like, nobody who got a, any level of kind of negative in their edit had a, had a real chance amongst them. It was all kind of more positive editing. And yeah, that's how elections work, right? Nobody's like, that guy's an entertaining jerk. I'm going to vote for him for president. <laughs> um, so yeah, do you think that they should do this again? Like, should this be a recurring gimmick that they do? Yes, I do. If it's as successful as they've claimed it to be, um, I can't imagine why not. 
I hope they don't just all of a sudden turn around and do it again in two years. <laughs> like they keep doing with Blood versus Water or Brains versus Brawn versus Beauty. Uh, especially because if it's like the same idea of second chances, it's like, eh, you know what? Uh, another 26 would be pretty thin. Yeah. Like at that point, we'd have to start trying to replicate like the tribe you put together. Um, <laughs> tribe sexy. But, you know, if they really wanted to up the ante, like, you know, we love this voting process. We love the surprise and all of that. Uh, you could do like a full all-star legend type thing. Yeah, this way. so that, that's the format that I think it would fit is if you're going to do that. Because then, then they're going to advertise it a lot more on their show. And then you're going to get all the dreaded casuals. Because I don't think casuals influence this vote in any significant way. Obviously, they, you know, probably helped Wu and Keith. Or not, yeah, Wu and Keith. But in the same way, it's like, I think people are abusing the term casual of late. Like, how would a truly casual Survivor fan even really know they're doing this? Well, I can tell you because I live with one. <laughs> At least generally. <laughs> this this season, she was not a casual fan. But my wife is generally someone who plays with her phone while Survivor is on. Again, this season, she didn't necessarily. But to she decided, oh, I'm going to make an account and I'm going to go vote. So she hops on her phone. She makes an account. She's like, okay, I voted for Shireen. Um, who else is good? Tell me. That's the extent of it. Yeah, like they had to vote for 10. You know, it couldn't just be Joe Spencer. You know, and they're like, oh, I remember Jeremy. It's like, at some point, you have to be there and like, do I feel this way about Terry Dietz? Or do I feel this way about Shane Powers? Like, and maybe you do that once if you're a casual, because you, you know, you saw Jeff Probst talk about it, you know, two weeks ago and then not last week. Yep. But you're not going back every day because you feel strongly about whether Monica Badia or Stephanie Valencia deserve your 10th vote. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think this was heavily influenced by, you know, Survivor fans, people that are passionate about the show. Here's the difference. Not everybody's passionate the way sucks people are passionate or Reddit people or our fans are. Some of them are Facebook Survivor fans. Yes. And those people are still into it. They're still online discussing the show. They just discuss it in a very different way than we do. And those are the people that are voting for Keith and Wu. Yeah, the people who said, bring back Ozzy for a second chance. Yeah. Why, when does Rupert get his second chance? <laughs> uh, but, I mean, this this process still elected Kelly Wentworth. This process still you know elected Andrew Savage. Uh, so I think this was a Survivor fan cast, and I think that's cool. Yeah, and I think when we get to the Legends format, if that is a thing that they're going to do, why not make it a popularity contest? You know, just put on the people that Survivor fans want to see the most. Yeah, and open it up to text messaging and, you know, make it like American Idol. Because here's the other thing that, you know, we should be pretty thrilled. Yes, we're, we're all disappointed that Shane didn't make it because he's great TV. Um it was sad when T-Bird didn't make it. And obviously, you know, we were pulling for Max, although it was pretty clear pretty early on that he had no chance. But how cool was it that we actually got to influence it in some way? And also, the types that Probst likes to cast, the ones that he, you know, the man on the, he feels like man on the street like and all that. No, like nobody cared that you put Brad Culpepper out there. It, that, nobody was interested in you stacking the deck with a bunch of anonymous young brunettes, right? Like the stuff that like we most hate about Survivor casting didn't happen for the most part. We have like two Survivor nerds as part of a cast. Yes. When are you getting two of them? And I'm imagining yeah. they were probably some of the highest vote getters. Oh yeah, I, they might have been the top two. I mean, obviously, or you know, two of three because Joe. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, this is ex like 
a season with Spencer and Fishback. In seasons previous, you know, Fishback is an alternate because they can't cast him and Cochran. Right. So, I think this worked out really well. And moreover, yeah, it gave a lot of people a second chance. Now, I don't buy that a lot of those people that didn't make it have a shot again. I think that was Probst feeling really bad in the moment, but it's like, yeah, we're probably not picking up the phone anytime, Sabrina. Yeah, especially if you ended up on the bottom of the, those polls. They're kind of like, okay, so clearly you don't have much support. Yeah, and again, there's a few of them where they might have been like, okay, this isn't the right format for you. Yeah. Like Shane, for instance, although I do believe this is Shane's last kick at the can. Because, yeah, he's been so close for so long. The only way he could come back, I think, at this point, is if, like, a year from now they do an all-star season, it's like, Shane, you're cast. Yeah. Like, we're not doing it. votes. We're not, you're not an alternate or whatever. It's like, come talk to us. You're in if you want it. Yeah, and I think that uh, that's the same sort of thing with Max, where if they, they really want Max back and they just force him in, he could get back in. Yeah, I think for Max, you... This might have been a mode of a blessing because I think his destiny was always to be like an alternate. One thing that helps is that two of the people that were probably standing in his way just got on. Oh, meaning for future seasons, his 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 comps, persona, yes. yeah, yeah. So the the two survivor nerds ahead of him are now uh, recently used. So yeah, he he might have gotten bumped up to the top of that list. Yeah, provided there isn't any more survivor nerds being cast in say season thirty two that's already filmed. Right. Um, Quick thought. Do you have a, a very, very, very early winner? Oh, man. Uh, actually, my wife asked me this last night, and I, my just off-the-cuff guesses were Vetus or PG. Yeah, that's not bad. I think yeah, Vetus has all the different tools. Uh, somebody to actually watch for is Monica. And uh, I don't want to seem like I'm suddenly this big Monica Padilla head. I literally never thought of her until this process started. But it's just that's how things have gone. And if you look just at the median age of the cast, she's somebody who, unless she annoys everybody, I can't imagine getting voted out anytime soon because she's one of the few athletic females on the show. It's, you know, it's either like skinny Sierra or... Or women in their 40s. How quickly you forget Beast Mode well, Kelly Wentworth. Yeah, well, both Kellys are in there too, but uh, somebody to watch. I think a lot of people assume Joe is doomed. I'm not sure that's true based on this cast. And no, he's doomed. <laughs> Hear me out. Uh, maybe it's a free yeah, talk, but there are a lot of alpha, honorable type, non-strategic, wanna compete type guys that he could align with. If he aligns with, like, you know, Savage, Woo, Kelly Wigglesworth, he might be in okay shape. Because we already know that Woo has no problem with, you know, bringing people to the end that will beat him. <laughs> I don't know if history is going to repeat itself quite to that degree on this one. Yes, because he'll be eliminated long before that. But anyway, I'm excited about this. We got an all-star season. How great is that? We do, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm greatly looking forward to it. But I'm almost as excited for the off-season where we get a nice little break here, finally. Yeah, so uh, thank you, everybody, who's been listening to our show this season. And more that has been listening to all and reading all the stuff we put out over the past two weeks. It was, you know, a lot of work for us as a hobby, and I hope you enjoyed it. And we're not going to be doing anything for a little bit of a while now. We, we, and I'm sure you, need a bit of a survivor break. It was quite a slog getting through that. I mean, it was amazing. Don't get me wrong. It was so awesome as a survivor fan to talk to some of those people, to get those interviews and the podcasts out to you guys it was awesome. And the feedback we got was great, but it was pretty exhausting 
uh, especially in such a compressed time frame. So yeah, like shout out for Rob Cesarino for doing like twenty five of them. He is, I think, a machine. Yeah, and one thing that you know, I didn't consider at the time, you know, when Max is talking about what a great time this is to be a Survivor fan, this couldn't have happened like two years ago when Rob had a full time gig. Yep. Because I can assure you, when you have to work your full time gig and then do these, there's not as much time. Yeah, I promise you can't get through more than one a night. Yeah. So we also lucked out that this is now Rob's full time th- job, but man, twenty five. Oh no, it was twenty six. It was twenty six. Plus, he still did regular stuff. Poor guy. Yeah. Poor wife. Yeah, that too. And shout out to our wives for putting up with us over the past couple weeks. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to put the kids to bed as much again tonight because I got to talk to somebody I never met before. Right. And shout out to my wife who probably listened to her first ever Purple Rock podcast when Shireen was on. Twice, right? She listened to two. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, the first one was the first time Shireen was on. Uh, and so we will have off-season content, though. This isn't going to be a four-month break or whatever. But yeah, we're going to take at least a few weeks off. And then um, we're going to find something to do. So if you have any suggestions or the sort of thing you might want to listen to in the offseason, you can contact us. We're on Twitter. Uh, I am at Purple Rock Andy, and John, I guess, is the podcast himself. <laughs> I am at Purple Rock Pod. You can send us emails, purplerockpodcast at gmail.com. And you can see all the content we've been putting out, and uh, we will put out at purplerockpodcast.wordpress.com. We, if you'd like to us to do a rewatch of some seasons, let us know. If you'd like us to try and arrange more interviews, let us know. If you'd like us to do some more crazy ranking things, let us know. Let us know what you might be interested in, and then we will do what we're interested in. Yes, we will completely ignore your suggestion, and unless it aligns, with... unless we love it, that yes. is, you know. <laughs> if it aligns with our particular interests, then we'll go for it. But again, I want to thank everybody that's helped us put this together this season. Um, our other friends on the show that you can also follow on Twitter: Purple Rock Pod. Oh, ah, I screwed it up. Purple Rock Emma, Purple Rock Matt, and Purple Rock Will, <laughs> who registered an account just for that, and also. Our graphics guy and occasional writer guy at SoVisual, who helped us a lot this season. We've, we really stepped our game up as far as content we put out this season. We didn't just do the podcast. We put out a whole lot of stuff on the website, which again, I encourage you just keep checking it out throughout the summer. There's going to be stuff going up there. PurpleRockPodcast.wordpress.com. And then thank you to all the listeners. Obviously we would literally not do this without you because it would feel silly. Uh, but also, you're very participatory. That's the only this. That's a great thing about the Survivor community is that it's a give and take. So when you leave us comments, when you tweet at us, that's what makes us want to do this more, and that's why we've been able to etch out some little corner in this crazy Survivor webosphere. Is that I think we've uh, created a place where there's a community of people to talk, and hopefully that will continue to grow throughout the off season and into next season. Yeah. Anything else, John? That's all. Let's hit the theme music one final time for the season. That's what it's like when a woman wants a baby. <laughs>